This is the Coffee Commune podcast, where the coffee community comes to collaborate, showcasing today another of our Coffee Commune members. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Coffee Commune podcast. My name is Rehan, the General Manager for International Coffee Traders. On today's show, we've got two lovely folks from San Remo Coffee Machine, Mr. Tim Sweet and Paloma Steiger. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. San Remo Coffee Machines have become legendary in the coffee industry, and uh, I can't wait to get into this episode and dig deep into what makes San Remo so great. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming. Thank you. It's Ray. a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so, um, Paloma's based here in uh, in Queensland, uh, over in the Sunshine Coast, and Tim has graced us with his presence from Victoria. Thanks for coming, guys. And uh, I guess let me let me start off by saying San Remo seemed to be a brand that back in the day just seemed to be here and there, but you didn't really see it so much. But I'm seeing a lot of San Remo coffee machines out there right now. What's what's been the reason behind that? Why the big change? Well, all right. Well, um, it's uh, I'll, my personal opinion is I was a barista sixteen years before I'd even heard of the word San Remo, and I used to confuse it with San Marino constantly. I was pretty much stuck on the mainstream sort of machines, and the first time I ever heard of it, it was recommended to me by someone who constantly goes to a lot of the international shows and is very involved in watching what happens on the scene overseas. And I was the BDM for a company. I was the business development manager for a company in Melbourne. I'd just moved to Melbourne. And this person's advice had never really let me down. And then I saw the product, had a good look at the product and thought it was too good to be true that this company has developed so much technology and and had made so many advances that it almost yeah sounded a little bit like a hoax but i did some more digging jumped online did some more research i guess you could say <clears throat> and i found that the the yeah it was backed up online as well and so i made the decision to to get uh, a machine back in the day and what i'd found was the company, which had been around 30 years, had recently been making a lot of proactive moves, a lot of aggressive changes, and it all had to do with the son, Carlo Disorti, of the father, Federico Disorti, passing on the directive control to the son. And Carlo came in and basically was a, a very well-educated fella, had a very clear vision for San Remo and some of the improvements that could be made. And it's just been a, a whirlwind ever since he sort of took over where the company's attitude has changed, the mentality has changed, and they've been really aggressive on fixing a lot of things that we know to be wrong, but we have maybe not have been aggressive in improving them over the years because of how comfortable and familiar everybody was with how things are today. But he came in with a clear vision, and it's been infectious. You'll find that regardless of which San Remo it is, it could be San Remo Hong Kong, San Remo Singapore, San Remo Dubai, it's it's carried on throughout the entire network where we've all got this mentality of, you know, chasing the next best thing, chasing what we can, what we can do next tomorrow to make things dramatically better and not just be satisfied with satisfactory. But yeah. Put it down to Carlo. (laughs) 
So it sounds like a lot of the change has been really driven by uh, technology. And I think um, back in when I was on the bar, it was a lot about touch and feel and art. And there was a lot of that behind coffee. And no one really was worried about technological advancement. But it seems like San Remo has really driven a lot of technological advancement into the machines. Well, Ray, I, everything that Tim said, I, I couldn't agree more. It's um, our three main pillars really are in, it's innovation, passion, and design. So I guess that going back to your original question, what changed? Why are we all seeing more San Remos out there now? Definitely since Carlo took over. And obviously it goes without saying that they are all amazing machines, but the attention to the design, especially ever since the Opera came out, uh, and after that, the Racer. At the end of the day, we are all visual creatures. The machines do look really, really good. Uh, and the technology, obviously, backing all up. I think, at least from my point of view, I've been with Sanremo for a couple of years now, but I couldn't, I agree with you. I think the last four to five years, which is since the racer came out in the opera, that's when we started seeing more and more. So, Alec, you, you really caught me when you were talking about design. And so can we dig into that a little bit? Tell me some of the s sort of the design things that go into a San Remo. Yeah. What are the things that, that have been paid attention to? I think one thing that really is quite unique about San Remo as well is San Remo is one of these companies that they make machines from right to entry level to the most advanced machines in the world. But every time they approach a new project, it's not a dumbed down or improved version of one another. They've completely reapproached every single project from the beginning. So they've thought of things like, well, with the Cafe Racer, it's designed for very, very high volume speed of service. It's, it's designed to achieve an extremely high quality, very consistently at high volume. So the minimizing of the buttons, the steam wand activation, everything is designed for speed and ergonomics. And it is, yeah, one of the fastest machines to operate a very high volume at, whereas the opera's design is really for the specialist or the roastery who wants to do quality control, who's looking to get a very detailed extraction and almost do research, you could say. It's not a huge market. It's a very small market for that. But that, that design of that machine is, is very much, it's not designed to be performance at high volume and, and speed and ergonomics and, and bash it out sort of thing. It's designed to do research. And then you've got something like the F-18, which is really designed to be very approachable. And so just by having one display on the screen so that you only have to concentrate on that display, whether it's showing you the temperature or when you're activating it, showing the time, it's designed to be very easy. So if you're new to coffee or if you're working as a protege uh, for another barista at a cafe, it's not going to stress you out. It's going to make the the experience a lot easier. It's a lot more comfortable to learn about coffee from something that is so user-friendly. Like each machine has its own DNA. While you can see a San Remo and you identify the look of a San Remo, each machine has a very unique and individual approach. 
I'm I'm really curious about the opera. When you said this is really for the for the geek out kind of barista, what are, what are some of the things that you can do with that machine that you can't do with others? Well, pressure profiling. Let's start with that. Pressure profiling is often a very technical word, and not a lot of people very much understand the application of pressure profiling. But that's a machine that has dialysis pumps behind each group head and a fourth pump on a three-group machine which regulates the pressure to each one of those group head pumps. So the consistency of that applied pressure is much, much more accurate because of how close that pump is to the group head but also the fourth pump regulating those pressures so that if you have one or two group heads active at the same time, there's no give. But you've got, what is it, six recipes per group head. You've got... Uh, pre-infusion pressure, post-infusion pressure. You've got um, the um, extraction pressure. So three variables per shot, six brewing options per head. You've got 18 recipes in that one machine at any given time that you can use, or you could just use it as one recipe machine. However, you can then save that file in the software, in the tablet or your mobile phone uh, by linking up with the machine and start again. You could then add another 30 sets of 18 recipes on top of that and keep that as your research into all the different coffees that you're trying. As a roaster, you could have one group head just dedicated to research while the other two group heads being used to do quality control for the blends that you've already got uh, in the market. It's an exceptional machine, but it is a very small market share of people that one are going to fully utilize that that technology and two that understand that technology. So I'm going to ask a bit of a, a loaded question. Considering that most machines out there, most baristas, most cafe owners are probably only familiar with press a button and it makes brown espresso. Mm-hmm. How useful is all of this technology? Is it too much? I, th- I think, I think so. Yeah, I think, That's a safe question, and I'm going to answer with, I I believe so. I think that every machine has a time and place, whether it be San Remo or another machine. Um, You'll usually find most companies out there have very advanced machines and technology, and there is a time and place for it. Uh, I don't think the opera's place is definitely in a, you know, let's say a a busy shopping centre cafe or a a high-volume cafe in a busy street. I think... You know, it can be used there, but I don't think that's probably the best use of that technology. I think you're probably more appropriate to choose the right horse for the right course in terms of, um, and that's a big part of me and Paloma's job is like when we, someone comes to us and they're interested in machinery, it's not just sell a machine. It's make sure the person is aligned with the most appropriate machine for their business. And we have to take in due care in terms of um, how much, uh, volume that cafe is doing, the desired outcome that the operator is looking to achieve. You know, we we have uh, a long-term relationship goal where when we're de- dealing with customers to put them in front of the most appropriate machine that suits them. And, you know, definitely, definitely the opera is not most appropriate. Majority of the time, the most appropriate machines are, are going to be ones that can um, make life as easy as possible for the operator. And we're talking the F-18, sometimes the Zoe, 
And if you know, if it's a specialty cafe and they're doing a lot of volume of coffee, then racer, you know, and that's the bulk of your market share. So it sounds like it's not just about selling coffee machines, but you've also got a strong focus on focus on customer care, customer service. Uh, what's that cycle look like? Um, how, where do you start with a cafe that's looking to upgrade their machine or move to a new machine? I guess um, the beginning is only just it's always just understanding where they 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 want to go, uh, where they at, understand the business. Like Tim said, how they operate, uh, the volume that they do. One question that I get asked often is, how many kilos uh, should I do to use a multi-boiler machine? Or how many kilos can a true group Zoe um, cope with? And I think, again, it really depends on how they operate. Uh, I think it's important to to know if the cafe is a five-day operation, a seven-day operation, if they do the bulk of the volume in two, three hours, or maybe it is spread out throughout the day. Ultimately, a two-group Zoe, a single boiler machine, let's talk it uh, more specifically, can hold high volume. If they do the volume throughout the day, nowadays, especially if they have a milk system, for example, uh, which then takes a lot of the pressure from the machine and a hot water system, and the machine is only used for coffee, a single boiler machine can, can do up to 50, even 70 kilos a week. So um, I guess that's your 100% right rate. So our job, actually a big portion of our job is just building up that relationship with the customer and helping them choose the best, the most suitable machine for their business, for their customers. Um, yeah, 100% right. I guess that goes without saying that all the different machines come in at different price points for different suitabilities and different technologies. How do they compare like uh, for someone starting out on a budget versus someone who's got a bit of money to spend? Yeah, look... Um, I know Paloma and myself have a very similar attitude. If we can save the customer as much money as possible in terms of uh, initial capital and long-term, the better. So that means that in five years' time, we want our customers to look back and go, look, it was a really good decision to go with San Remo because they steered me in the right direction and I got the most value for money. That being said, if we obviously are talking to a customer who we know that they're going to do... 50, 60 kilos a week today when we're recommending a machine and we're anticipating in two or three years their growth is going to have to be factored into the performance of the machinery. We have to look at that as well and we have to do a bit of research and talk to the customer and have a look at what what they're doing and as does the roaster. Uh, The roaster is probably the biggest active decision maker in guiding the customer. So uh, we do the best job we can so that this investment, which is a significant investment, it's nearly the price of a car, or it is the price of a car, is going to serve its full potential and get the best return rate for the client who's spending this money out. So if they're doing that kind of volume, paying off um, a top-end machine, something like a racer over the course of two or three years is, is very achievable. And you know the rest of it beyond that, as long as they look after their equipment, is all going to be the money towards the growth of the business. And that's 
that's been a good decision. And so that happens right down to entry level where single boilers, we look at two group or three group options. We have to factor in where that customer is today, where they're going to be in four or five years because a coffee machine is not a a one-year investment or a two-year investment. You know, you should be looking at a nearly eight to 10-year investment, you know, to get everything you want back from that machine and and more. So, you know, it should be a really positive part of their business decision as long as the people that are, are helping these people make decisions are doing so with the best intentions. That sounds really um, actually quite a surprise to me to say that you'd want or expect the machine to last eight to 10 years. You know, I would have expected three to five years for a coffee machine. So I'm guessing there's some special maintenance that's required to keep it going. Nothing special, but uh, the, the real can by that, I mean, doing the, the service regularly. Mm-hmm. So every four to six months, depends how busy you are. And especially the daily care that the baristas need to have with the machine, doing the hourly, hourly clean, at the end of the day, cleaning properly. And if you do that, it can, it can last. Big Eight thing to is water. ten, even more than yeah. ten years. Big thing is water filtration as well. I mean, you Queenslanders will know, as well as some people in Melbourne who are in the some questionable spots with water. The biggest enemy of a coffee machine is is water, and so water filtration is key. But yeah, how long is a piece of string? As long as you look after the equipment and service it preemptively, rather than waiting for something to go wrong. It's like a car. It's uh, you know it's a, like a, a car, car can die in two or three years if you. Don't look after it. Don't change the oil. But if you look after that car, you know, it could be, who knows, it could last a very long time. In terms of the maintenance then, what are the sort of top things that people should be doing or should not be doing with their machine? Number one thing that you should not be doing is when you have a technical problem with your machine, do not jump on Melbourne Barista Union and ask uh, someone on the internet to give you technical advice so that you can try and Uh, approach this machine and service it yourself you can do yourself a lot of harm you can do the machine a lot of harm it's just not a safe practice please go back to a recognized technician of the machine that you're talking about so if it's a one machine brand look to the most appropriate technician to serve that brand and get a technician a trained qualified technician to address the problem do not try to to be a hero (laughs) <laughs> what about you, Plum? What do you think? What's the biggest do's and don'ts of uh, self-maintenance? Um, Actually, I'm going to jump in there because there's one other one that sort of keeps me up at night. Yeah. And that is when you see the glass of water being placed underneath the steam wand to clean the steam wand overnight. Any technician will tell you that that's going to eventually cause damage to the wand, potentially the steam valve solenoid and then even worse still it could even contaminate the steam boiler cleaning the steam wand is pretty straightforward you just most steam wands will have a steam tip you can remove and soak in good old water and confetto and if need be just get into a habit of regularly bleeding the wand and wiping the wand as you use it so you don't get that caked up milk on the wand anyway don't use the spoon to clean don't use the spoon no spooning (laughs) don't leave the handles overnight locked in take them out overnight take them out overnight is that 
even if the machine is on or off? Both. Yeah? Yeah. Leave the handles out. Don't out. turn your machine off overnight. That's another one. Okay. <laughs> Don't, the biggest thing on. about turning the machine off overnight is you're seeing a machine go from 125 degrees to room temperature every day, hot, cold, hot, cold, expanding and contracting, expanding, contracting. Never mind the fact that you're going to run your electricity bill through the roof, which is the opposite of your intention. You're also going to cause a lot of wear and tear and damage to your machine and the water doesn't like doing that either. If your water goes hot, cold, hot, cold, it's going to amplify the scale that might or may not even have happened in your machine. Keep okay. it on. Keep it on. There's a lot of these little myths in coffee that, that people argue endlessly about on the on the online forums, like, should I turn my machine off? Uh, I want to come back to that group, ha- group handle. Why should you leave your group handles out? Because people argue about that all the time. Well, actually, the funny thing is, I see the point of leaving your group handles out overnight. I tend to leave them in. And this is something where it could go either way. It depends on your clean down process. So if your clean down process is really, really detailed, then it's a good decision to lock your group handles in overnight because it's going to protect the rubber seal. And that's I know that that sounds kind of fickle because those rubber seals, look, to get them changed in your service, Every service is nothing. So it probably seems like, okay, well, great, whatever. But if your if your process of cleaning the machine at the end of the day is not really, really thorough, it probably would be a good decision to leave the group handles out because anything that's in the group handle or the group head overnight is going to cook. It's going to sit under an extreme amount of temperature for a very long period of time without any water. It's going to be like searingly hot, almost like a grill. So a lot of times you might come in to open up to make coffee in the morning. You're the opening barista and you come in and you find Gunk. You've, yeah. you've got this almost yeah baked on, very hard baked on sediment of maybe a, the smallest amount of coffee from the night before. So that is almost like one by situation by situation. Depends on the cafe's cleaning habits to which which decision is best. So that that one will be a raging conversation for a long time to come on which way, which what, what option you should go with. Okay, so it comes down to cleaning at the end of the day. You really need to clean really, really, really well. Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily mean, see, caffetto and water left long enough can actually cut through the rubber handles of any coffee machine group handle. So that's another one. If you leave your group handles in caffetto and water overnight, that water and caffetto will get into your thread of your group handle handle and or it'll start to chill away your handle. So... Cafeto is only been designed to sort of soak and clean something for about 10 to 15 minutes before you need to really thoroughly rinse it off. And a lot of people don't do that. If you put your group handle straight after it's been cafetoed, soaked in cafeto back into your group head and it dehydrates, the water will disappear, but all the cafeto water that was in that liquid inside your portafilter will be baked and cooked overnight into your group handle. And so if you don't want to drink that as your dial-in shot in the morning, highly recommend really 15, 10, 10 to 15 minutes soaking. But then after that, give it a thorough rinse. Make sure you get rid of the confetto. It's just as important to get rid of that confetto and give your group heads and your group handles a really good rinse. Don't underestimate the confetto. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so we had a vote from Tim to keep your handles in as long as you clean really well. So 
Paloma, what's what's your point of view? Why should you leave the handles out? Well, I, from my barista times or even after when I used to work for Roasters or now San Remo, I just feel, and I've heard that from multiple sources as well, that the machine being on or off and on would be even worse, it just wears the seals out a lot quicker. No, team? I, I think me and Paloma are going to have to, to resort to fighting in the car park to, to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. <laughs> we, All right. we'll, we'll Anyone be wants to see a fight taking place, uh, let's call it 5.15 on Tuesday, 26th April. It's happening. You can get tickets right here. Um, they're going on sale for 100 bucks each. <laughs> you know what I would recommend? Go to your technician that you're working with. Definitely go to the technician for advice, mainly because... The technicians are working with a lot of different machines on the market. They're going to have first-hand experiences when they're coming in to service the machines after they've been installed. They're going to know which cafes are practicing what what habit, and they're going to have a very wide perspective of what is the potentially the best decision to make. And that's where I think we have to give a lot of airtime to the technicians that are out there watching what's going on with the machines on a day-to-day basis. So they. But can I, sorry, Tim, can I just ask why, again, you think they would protect the seal, you said, or depending? Yeah, so what I've seen in my time is that, and this is just an observation, is I tried doing it the other way before, and I noticed that when the seals, the rubber seals, were exposed to oxygen overnight, or they were exposed to the open air overnight, they tended to dry out and crack a lot quicker where and they hardened up. Whereas if they were locked in overnight, they tended to stay softer, almost in newer condition for a longer period of time. Which I, is kind of con- counterintuitive because you're putting a, a metal handle against a rubber seal and leaving it overnight to kind of bake against the rub- rubber seal, against hot metal, you know what I mean? Yeah, look, I think it's one of those things where we can never underestimate how rubber can have a, a heat source on one side of it and the cool air on the other side of it. So you've got, I, I mean, I, I'd, without uh, coming across as if I was trying to explain the chemistry of it, which I really can't because I haven't got that background and I haven't done any testing. My theory that comes to mind, though, is that if you've got a really hot heat source on one side of the rubber and the open air on the other side of the rubber, one side of the rubber seals expanding and contracting, the other side of it is staying slightly cool because rubber is not a great conduit of temperature, whereas metal is. So if the group handle on the other side is sort of sandwich pressing the rubber seal, at least within the rubber seal, the temperature is consistent and it's not uh, doing strange things on one side and the opposite things on the other side. But I, I can. That's a that's a, a wild guess. I don't it, know. It sounds sounds like an experiment needs to happen I think here. We, do. we need to figure this out once and for all. How do we do that? Let's uh, let's figure that out offline and uh, conduct some experimentation. <laughs> I no doubt this will see, fill see, up. What, see if we can uh, answer this question once and for all. That'll fill up the comment section without a doubt. 100%. <laughs> That'll keep them going. All right. Tell us in uh, tell us uh, in your cafe. What do you do? Do you keep your uh, do you keep your handles in or do you take them out? We really want to know and we want to hear from you and why you think your way is the best. What's next for San Remo? Tell us uh, what exciting projects have you got in the future? If uh, we told you we'd have to kill you. No, no. 
San Remo's got some very exciting uh, things coming out in the future. You can jump on our website actually to read a lot of our forums of of what's coming out. Um, but San Remo's done a lot of work with uh, Zurich University in terms of an one of the first international degree in coffee that you can actually get. It's a collaboration between SCAR, San Remo, and Zurich University. Those who don't know Zurich University, it's a it's a very well renowned university for technology and research. You can and do a degree in coffee now. Yeah, yeah, you can. It's um, something that a lot of people have talked about in the past and um, it's definitely something that uh, we need. I think a lot of people that are traveling internationally with careers, lifetimes dedicated to, to coffee that want to be able to move from maybe one country to another country and walk into or apply for a top tier position in coffee rather than when they move country having to work their way back up again and reestablish themselves. They can come into another country with a lot of credibility, internationally recognized credibility in coffee. But technology wise, uh, San Remo's got a machine coming out, a top tier machine called the Brave, which is going to be an exciting machine that's going to be able to do some things with coffee that we've never been able to do before as an industry. Um, we've got the the U coming out for anyone who wants to a one group machine that can do some extraordinary things either as a, a domestic machine or a QC machine. Its applications are very open ended, but it's got the ability to do some some incredible things uh, in terms of pressure and telemetry. But even the technology, the most exciting thing is the application of the research that we do as a company in our top tier projects that carries through even to our entry-level machines. We we learn so much from those top-tier machines. And I know a lot of people say, oh, look, it's not really that applicable for our market. It's it's a bit of a it's a bit too crazy or it's a bit too advanced. But the work that we do in those machines carries right through to to even the entry-level machines. And it's amazing to see you know, I wish these sort of things were happening around in my time. I saw a video uh, the other day of a robot pouring latte art. Anything, anything like that in the works? <laughs> not <laughs> yet. At least not that we know of. But I'm sure it will happen eventually. Well, actually, you're touching on a very big subject there, and it is automation. Automation of machines is is definitely on the cards and it's getting better and better and better and i think that's something that as a community regardless of brand of machine we have to look at what are we doing as an industry to advance the barista espresso machine design or presentation of coffee or representation of the coffee to keep advancing so as to further the gap between a fully automated experience and something that's made by handmade by a barista. We need to continue to push the envelope uh, as an industry and ensure that, um, that that relationship continues to advance. I mean, not to take anything away from fully automatic machines. I think they can be fantastic. I think that they can, they can really serve their purpose in the market. But, um, you know, for having a person, an individual making the coffee, and keeping an eye on the the product all the time, and also the customers' feedback, and and gathering that 
that first-hand experience. I think that's so important to the future of coffee. I think that's a lovely sentiment for us to to finish off off on. Uh, what's the best way for anyone to get in contact with you? Definitely through our um, website. Yeah, I think on the website you've got our contact Socials information as well. Yeah, yeah, you've got. If you're in Queensland, um, probably ninety percent of you listening are. Um, you can find Paloma's uh, contact information or email address and number on www.sanremoaustralia.com.au If you're in Melbourne, you'll see my information online as well and send us an email, text message. You know, we're we're pretty approachable. We'll come back to you pretty much straight away. It's been lovely talking to you guys. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Coffee Commune podcast. Remember to subscribe and rate this show wherever you're listening. 